Kyle's my younger brother from another mother and father, um, but uh, yeah, but he feels very much like a brother to me. He's been on island for a couple years plus and uh, has been a member of this church for a long time and uh, married to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Kyle, Kyle is one of our elders. Um, he's served as one of our elders for going on a year now. And actually, he and Sarah just launched a new missional community that meets in their home in the Washington Heights area of Kadena. So if you're not already connected to a missional community, um, I think you would be deeply encouraged by a relationship with Sarah and Kyle and the other people in their MC. And they meet at 6 o'clock on Thursdays, I think. Yep. 6 o'clock on Thursdays. So you can see Sarah, uh, see Kyle, and get connected with them. And I just, I mean, I just want to say this about Kyle and Sarah. I know we talk about it a fair amount at Pillar, like making career choices through a gospel lens. Um, we have seen that in Kyle and Sarah, and I just want to commend them for it. They're one of few people that I know who made the decision uh, to stay here in Okinawa simply because they felt compelled to care for um, people who are living here and working, working here. And they just, they sensed a real need um, to care for certain groups or demographics of people and made the decision two times now. We're going for three. Um, to extend and continue living in Okinawa just to, just to be in relationship and in community with people, to care for them, to point them to Jesus, and to love them well. So uh, I've been deeply encouraged by both Kyle and Sarah but that for many reasons, but that one aspect of their lives has been profoundly challenging and encouraging to me at the same time. So I, just, I want you to know that I, we really respect that in, in both of you. So thank you. I'm going to pray for Kyle, and then we'll get right down to work this morning. Jesus, I thank you for my brother, uh, Kyle, and I thank you for uh, my sister, his sweetheart, um, Sarah, and for the relationship that you've given them. Um, Jesus, this is your church, and so in one sense, it doesn't matter who gets up here to, to preach. Uh, you are center stage. No one man or woman uh, gets to be center stage here. Um, it's your church. It's your family. We submit to you. You are our king. Um, so we want you uh, to be viewed as the hero that you are, center stage as you should be. And Father, it's not Kyle's word, it's not my word, it's not another preacher's word. Uh, we're just here to listen to you as our Father. We want to submit ourselves to your voice, um, and we want our lives to conform to, uh, to your voice, uh, your pattern that, that we all bear as, as image bearers. And Holy Spirit, we don't do any of this on our own. We are completely dependent upon you. You brought us to life. You gave us life. You sustain our lives. You open our eyes to see truth. You open our ears to, to hear truth. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, do those things for us again this morning so that we can have life according to your word. Um, point us to Jesus. Um, convict us of our sin so that we can know repentance and grace and forgiveness and keep pressing on in Christ. Uh, we thank you for all these things. These are all gifts from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah, those feelings are absolutely mutual between John and myself. I've been absolutely blessed to serve and to be mentored and discipled by him. So, All right. Today's topic. Um, we've been really going through multiple um, multiple images of the image of God and men and women in the last two weeks. We've seen the image of God displayed uh, in creation, 
when God, uh, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them distinct, man and woman, both displaying the image of God uniquely and both uh, completely sufficient. They were not in need of one another to display that image. Both were completely created in the image of God and that image was really good. And then we saw, I think in both weeks, how that image was, that image was broken because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and their sin. So now you have a beautiful image of God displayed in the world, marred because of sin. And as Adam and Eve's children, we've inherited that status. We've inherited that sin nature and that marred image of God, and it's displayed in our sinful tendencies and our rebellion against him. And how we've inherited this broken image um, ultimately plays out in our lives daily uh, in the ways that we've sinned against God and against one another. And we're in need, in need of a savior to restore us. And so we've looked at Jesus as he's come as the perfect imprint of God, the perfect image. And he lived on our behalf. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised to new life. And through him, we're reconciled to God. And now we are being restored into a new image, the image of Jesus. Uh, Paul in Romans 8, he stated that for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son meaning that before the creation of the world, God knew and he planned and he predestined for his people to bear the image of Christ. And if you were in Christ today, that image is being created in you because you have been restored in relationship to your father. And so in two instances for men and women, we've been looking at this specifically in marriage. Two weeks ago for men, we, we stated that men, the restored image of God is displayed in you when you gladly and sacrificially use your words, your presence, and your strength for the good of your family and the good of others. And then last week, we looked at the restored image among women in marriage, that women, the the restored image is displayed in you when in submission to the only perfect God-man Jesus, you partner with and submit to an imperfect man, your husband, using your words, presence, and strength for your family's good and the good of others. And so those are the two images we've looked at. And now today we have a a new topic. We're we're on the topic of singleness in the church because there's a group here that's well-represented that is currently in this station of life. And before we get talking about it, I want to define it because multiple people can see singleness differently. Biblically, singleness is this. It's to be unmarried, and celibate, unmarried and celibate. In the world today, the world doesn't really have a problem with uh, being unmarried. They have a problem with the celibacy point. So they might define singleness differently, but for the church, it's to be unmarried and celibate. And I want it noted that many who are called, uh, at least at this moment, to singleness in the church have a significant role to play. And in fact, Paul says that this role... um, is leading them to better carry out what God requires of all of us. That's kind of that's hard. We'll get to it in a minute that, that single people in the church are well positioned to live out the life God requires of us better than married folk. But yeah, like I said, we will get there. And I wanna, I wanna recognize that if you are single in here and you've been here the last few weeks, that you've been laboring through this conversation about marriage, knowing that you're not there yet or you're not there right now, and ultimately, you might not be there in the future. And I recognize that in singleness, we can respond to marriage topics differently. 
Some might respond with, with longing, hoping to be there one day, hoping to have that title of husband or wife. Some, it's kind of the opposite. They think of marriage apathetically, like, oh, it's, I'll get there eventually. Right now, I'm just focused on my goals, my ambitions. Some may have responded to the topic of marriage with sadness, knowing that maybe their marriage is on the rocks or maybe it was lost. Some may have responded with grieving, knowing that marriage doesn't seem in the cards because their desires are contrary to God's good design. And each of these need extra fine care. And it would be hard for me to, to attack each angle of singleness in the responses. You can't do that in one sermon, but what I want to do to start out with is to just thank you. Like, thank you for laboring in love with us, going through this topic of marriage uh, the last two weeks, knowing that you respond uh, individually and in different ways that are unique to you. And I want to honor that. And for the married couples in here, we're going to talk about singleness, and I don't want you to check out. Our, our single brothers and sisters have committed to us to be for us in our marriages, and we need to submit to them and be for them in their singleness. Uh, for married couples, we also have to, to wrestle with the fact that many of us will be single again. Many of us will, whether, whether it's through death or, God forbid, divorce. And so this topic of singleness is for everyone no matter your station in life. So today's sermon, it's, uh, it's rooted in the image of God, same thing like marriage. So rooted in the image of God, I've made this summary uh, sentence. So if you take notes, go for it. The summary sentence is this, that single brothers and sisters, the image of God is displayed in your free, single-minded devotion to your heavenly father and his mission, using your words, presence, and strength for the good of others, an eager expectation of Jesus' return. I'll say that again. Single brothers and sisters, the image of God is displayed in your free, single-minded devotion to your heavenly Father and his mission, using your words, presence, and strength for the good of others, an eager expectation of Jesus' return. We're going to break that statement down. But for the sake of this sermon, there's three points that I want to make. The first point is this. We're going to focus on single excuse me, free, single-minded devotion. That's point one. The second one, words, presence, and strength for the good of others. And lastly, eager expectation. So I'm gonna read our, uh, our scripture today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians 7. We're gonna be in verses six through nine. Then we're gonna hop over to 25 through 35. Give you a minute to get there. So we're, I'm going to read. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of, of a chunk, but just follow with us. After reading, I'll pray, and then we'll get down to business. So 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9. Paul writes, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Hopping over to uh, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. 
I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she is not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The married man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we need you here among us. Lord, we need your spirit to lead us to truth. And I recognize that there is a, there's just a multitude of people here, whether married or single, who need your message. They don't need to hear it from me. They need to hear it from you. And so, Lord, I ask that your spirit would lead us to that truth, that we would have our hearts encouraged and challenged to live out this calling that we find ourselves in. And God, I ask that, um, that you would protect us from error, that you would protect us from the, the habits that do not reflect you properly. And God, that the joy to be had in displaying your image in the world would drive us to live out whatever calling we have in purity and holiness and in joy. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So for context, in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing um, multiple problems in the church up to this point. He's focused in on, uh, on divisions in the church and corrected them. He's, he's focused in on lawsuits among believers and how we're to approach that topic. And then he, he even talks about things like promiscuity and, and prostitution, even within the church. And Paul has done this the whole time with a loving gospel clarity that is accompanied by firmness. Paul knows that he needs to be tender, for he's a tender-hearted pastor. Paul was a single man who enjoyed free, single-minded devotion to God, serving the family of God in the ministry Paul called him to, or God called Paul to. Paul knew that the family of believers was called to holy, holiness and purity. And what God's family ultimately does is it displays an image in the world. So Jesus, he came, he did, he uh, restored us to the Father. He's restored and restoring the image of God in us. And ultimately how we live as the family of God on mission together tells the world a story about God. And Paul would have us do that correctly. And he's tender. He knows the things that we are going through. He's not unfamiliar. Whether you are married and single, as we discuss singleness, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Apostle Paul. He's speaking through him. He's using uh, Paul and his familiarity with singleness and his familiarity with serving couples, and he's doing so to call us to something greater, to call us to something higher. 
If you were single today, you were in good company with the Apostle Paul as a single man. Or if you're a single woman, it's still singleness. And you're also in good company with Jesus, our King, who himself lived as a single man. And both of them demonstrated a free, single-minded devotion to God. And both of them would encourage us in that, in the same way that Paul's going to encourage the Corinthians. So my first point, free, single-minded devotion to God. Looking at verse 6, Paul says this. He says, now is a concession, not a command. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. Paul recognizes that if you are married, it's a gift. It's a good gift. And he also recognizes that if you're single, it's a gift. Might even be said a better one. I must state that despite feelings one way or the other, our feelings do not determine the state of our calling or at least our calling for the moment. Think of that, like if you were a married man or a married woman in marriage and you had desires for singleness, does that negate your responsibility to the calling and the gift God has given you? Does that mean that God got it wrong or you were, you were suppressing a gift of singleness? No, it means that you have the gift of marriage. And if you are single, it's the same thing. It, it might be just for the time being, but if you find yourself single today, it is a gift that is not determined by our feelings, but rather by where we find ourselves. Paul knew what singleness was like. Paul knew how to encourage singles. And the first thing he does to encourage them is to say, it's a gift. It is a gift. Our feelings do not declare the gift God has given us, rather the state we find ourselves in. And if you are single today and you have desires that conflict with your gift, it's okay. It can be temporary. It can be exchanged. And if you get married, it's a good thing. You can trade it in tomorrow. What is a gift today may be exchanged tomorrow without any burden of sin or loss. And in fact, you're free to do as you wish. But here's the thing about gifts. Here's the thing about gifts for Paul when he discusses them in all of his texts. Gifts are given to people not primarily for themselves. Gifts are given to people for the good of others. Gifts are given to people for the good of others, relying on God's grace to be sufficient for us, no matter the calling in life, married or single, so that we can use our gifts and use our words and presence and strength on behalf of others. Singleness and marriage might be lifelong. It might not be. But I need to ask, are we free to devote ourselves entirely to God using the gift of the season on behalf of others? on behalf of others. It can be okay to desire the other gift, but in your current station, are you using the gift, whether you're single, maybe, maybe you have extra time, or maybe you have more of a capacity than married couples. Are you capitalizing on the gift and the benefits thereof for the good of others? Our stations in life are gifts where in free devotion to our Father, we give ourselves on behalf of others which is his mission, married or single, disciples making disciples. And that's true whether you're married or single. In verses eight and nine, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, the audience... Um, in verse uh, eight, doesn't seem clear on the surface. Paul says, to the unmarried and to the widows. 
Now, when you break that word unmarried out, it's masculine plural in the Greek. So it's speaking directly to men, to the unmarried. And it's speaking to widows, which would be um, formerly married women whose husbands had passed away. So unmarried men and widows. And what scholars have done is they've determined that Paul is addressing here people specifically who had been formerly married and now find themselves not, meaning men or women who had lost a husband or a wife uh, to death. Paul's saying, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Here's the connection. If one has the opportunity to be married, a good God-honoring opportunity to be married, and if they are unable to conform to a sexual ethic of celibacy, then let them be married. For it is better to do so than to burn with passion. If you're gonna struggle your way through singleness, losing this war on self-control, and you have a good honoring, God-honoring route, Paul says it's okay to take it. Now, I don't believe that Paul would say that we can just marry anyone because of our lack of self-control. There's nuances there, nuances. But I think the heart of Paul's teaching is that people who previously experienced marriage and ignited that flame at one time and now find themselves single through a biblically grounded separation, whether death or a justified divorce, that these people should not suffer through the issues of self-control trying to lead a single life, but rather they should have a good God-honoring marriage, and it's okay. What we're working toward here is freedom. Freedom to live in the state we are in, whether we really enjoy the gift or not, just freedom to devote ourselves entirely single-mindedly to God, whether married or single. And so if you are single and you find yourself in a similar circumstance, having a God-honoring path to marriage and yet suffering through issues of self-control in your singleness, it's okay to get married because the opposite is to burn with passion, leading to a double-mindedness, something Paul is eager to keep us from. Paul shows us that what singleness affords you is a pursuit, a free, uh, single-minded pursuit of the things of God. That's what he wants for us. And so if we skip over to verses 32 through 35, we see this played out um, in this scripture text. It says, Paul writes them, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried, a betrothed woman, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. When it comes to singleness, with the help of the Spirit, you are free to set your attention upon and devote your strength entirely to the things of God. Now, ultimately, everyone, whether married or single, is called to that. Everyone is called to that. But Paul highlights that in marriage, our our interests often get divided. Priorities become blurry. It's hard to balance things. They often get out of place. In my marriage, my wife is not a hindrance to my relationship and pursuit of God and his mission. But my desire to please her might be. For a woman, if your husband is not he's not ultimately leading you away from being single-mindedly devoted to God, but your desire to please him might be. For the single, Paul commends singleness as a way to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
For such devotion displays God's image, for it correctly placed before all other devotions, single-minded devotion to God. He would have us be as unhindered as possible in that regard, knowing that for the married, it's much more difficult. So for the single in this season, in this gift, the image of God is displayed in your free, single-minded devotion to God and his mission. Going on to point two. Point two is this, words, presence, and strength for the good of others. Words, presence, and strength for the good of others. Now, because each of us, whether married or single, is a man or a woman, we all display the image of God, all of us. So this goes back to God's good design. God himself speaks words that bring life and also can bring death. God himself has a presence that restores and gives comfort to his people, yet brings dread to his enemies. God himself has a strength that is unfathomable and is always working for beauty, justice, and goodness. And so when God created people, he created them in his image to have roles like prophet speaking words and presence or a role like a priest and role of strength like a king. We've seen this in the text in Adam who, who used his words, his presence, and his strength before the fall for the good of others and the good of creation. And we saw that in the, in the Old Testament, if you read it, in the roles of prophet, priest, and king who are to use their gifts and their calling for the good of others, but because of sin often use, use that for themselves. So whether you are married or single here today, both men and women are called in that same image to use their words, their presence, and their strength for the good of others. For the good of others. For singles, no less than married individuals, you are called to use these for the good of others and the good of creation, maximizing on the capacity that God has given you, displaying properly the image of God. Naturally, you do have an extra capacity for service. While many of us are tied up with marital affairs, our, our single brothers and sisters are uniquely qualified to serve in the areas that married people just can't. I think of a single member who um, can flex their schedule at the last minute to meet with an ailing member who needs their words of encouragement. Many of us who are married can't flex the time at the last minute like that, but maybe a single brother or sister can. I think of Sam Alberry, uh, a pastor and also a single man, who tells a story in his book, The Seven Myths of Singleness, about this couple that he was close to. Um, this couple, they ultimately... Uh, they experienced a trauma in their life when they're, in their lives when their child committed suicide. And Sam Alberry says his singleness uniquely gifted him the opportunity to drop everything he had, to go and be with them and live with them for the first few days as they just navigated that trauma and shock. The presence or the gift of his presence was able to minister to them. And Sam Alberry credits that to his singleness. I can also think of strength, people who maximize and capitalize on their strength. Guys like John Stott, a single man, pastor, theologian, who used his singleness to just labor on behalf of the church. Many of you might not have heard of him, but I promise you that his influence on evangelical Christianity today knows no bounds. I think of C.S. Lewis, a man who is single for the majority of his life and a man who produced just tons of good works that still today, even though he's been dead for a while, are being used to shape and influence the lives of Christians. I think of another, uh, a woman, Henrietta Mears. Has anyone ever heard of her? 
had one in the first service, Henrietta Mears. She was a woman who lived in the early and mid 1900s and a woman uh, single who gave herself fully to the service of others. In fact, she uniquely was gifted in the area of Christian education for children in the local church. She developed Bible study programs and Sunday schools. And at one time in the 1930s or the 1940s, she had a Sunday school at Hollywood Presbyterian Church that had a total of 4,200 young children hearing the gospel every Sunday. Her capacity for service and her singleness uniquely qualified her to use her strengths for good. And she also, she had a, a personal ministry to men and women. I can think of three off the top of my head. Bill Bright of Campus Crusade for Christ. Dawson Trotman of the Navigators, both would credit uh, Henrietta Mears for ministering to them uniquely in times of need. And I think of Billy Graham, who credits Henrietta Mears for convincing him of the inerrancy of Scripture before he became Billy Graham. Though she may have had no physical children in this life, many were happy to call her a spiritual mother. The fruit of her labors continues through ministries today. many generations later. So those were just a few examples of people in the Big C Church who have uniquely used their giftings uh, or their gift of singleness on behalf of others. But we also have people in the local church, people in our context, living uh, out the life of singleness, living out that gift and doing it faithfully. I told you I'd call on you. I thought of EJ Ayuman. She, she labors next door on behalf of our children. She, she gives of herself to them so that families can come in here and experience a, an undivided uh, attention or have undivided attention in the service. She does that. And then when Sarah and I, when we have her in her home, she, just, she inspires happiness and joy in ways that she probably doesn't even know. Think of Landon Jostis. He's somewhere around here. Landon. Landon faithfully serves next door as well, using his service and his strength um, using his words to just encourage brothers and sisters to do security next door for the children, volunteering also with preschoolers. But I think, Landon, you might remember this. I think a, um, a unique time in, in our friendship was when we would meet up for breakfast in the morning. And I being married and Landon being single meant nothing. Uh, Landon encouraged me when he told me that marriage is the anvil of sanctification at a time I needed to hear it. So even though he's an unmarried man and I'm a married man, that makes no difference. I need him in my life. I need those gifts. And there are many more people, single people who have ministered to me uniquely and they are in this room and they've been ministering to us and we need to thank them. We need to call it out, look them in the face and say, thank you. Show them the appreciation they deserve for they are faithfully living out this calling on their life. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's just not desired and that they still do it. For the singles here, I want it to be known that singleness is not a waste of the image of God in you, but rather it's an opportunity to express that image through capitalizing on unique freedoms and seeking to give yourself on the, for the sake of others, using our words, presence, and strength. Now notice, this call is no different for married couples. You are still called to the same things, but singles have a unique, necessary role to fill. For while married people may have a ministry that often revolves around their immediate family, singles are able to cast wider nets. They're able to dig deeper and serve in larger contexts. Using their gift given 
for the good of others. Now going to point three, eager expectation. Let's jump back into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 31. Eager expectation. Paul says, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she is not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they have none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For here it is. For the present form of the world is passing away. Passing away. So in verse 25, Paul's speaking to the betrothed and to single men. Specifically, he's giving judgment as an apostle, but not a command of the Lord. And this word betrothed, it might stir in your mind's thoughts of engagement. But what it, um, in, the, in the meaning it's pointing to is a maiden or a never married woman, a virgin. So Paul says concerning such women and you single men, in view of the present distress, it is good for you. It is good for you to remain as you are. He defines what he means by this. If you're, if you're married, don't seek to be free. If you're single, don't seek to be married. But then he dictates the freedom single individuals have. He says, if anyone marries, so if you marry, and you're, if you're single and you go ahead and marry, guess what? You didn't sin. It's okay. But what's going on here? Paul is saying that his intention is to keep the single people from worldly troubles in the face of distress. But what is that distress? What is the worldly troubles he's talking about? Now, scholars have... They've concluded, or at least part of them, part of the grouping of them has concluded that this uh, trouble or present distress is in regard to famine. That in the church at Corinth, they're, they're wrestling through a famine in their time, or they're wrestling through earthquakes that are happening and severe religious persecution. And so in light of that, it's not good to get married because could you imagine getting married and raising a family when there's famine or severe religious persecution? That could be what Paul means. But I am convinced, along with some other scholars, that in light of verse 29 and 31, that Paul, the distress Paul is referencing is specifically the impending second coming of Christ and how individuals are to live in light of that fact. For the present form of the world is passing away. Jesus is getting closer. And for the marrieds, it's difficult to live in light of that. Hence the distress. It's difficult to live faithfully in marriage in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And we're going to show that in a moment. So if we want to know Paul's attitude in light of Jesus coming back, this is Paul's attitude. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27 through 30, Paul says this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training They do it to win a wreath or a crown that will not last. But we, as the church, we do it to win a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not box like one beating the air. I do not run aimlessly. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, 
lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul commends to the church, both singles and married, a free single-minded devotion to God and his mission, saying that he himself, Paul, disciplines himself in such a way that he will not be disqualified from receiving what he's aiming at. And it's what all of us should be aiming at, no matter our station, and it's this, the crown of life. A crown of life, living faithfully to God until Jesus' return. Paul says that all should be striving in the same way as he is, as he awaits that return. Paul knows that Jesus has promised to come soon, and therefore he wishes to save singles from worldly troubles that could derail them in their pursuit. Both marriage and singleness have worldly troubles, they do. And yet uniquely, Paul calls out the worldly troubles of marriage as being at issue with living free, single-mindedly, uh, free, single-minded devotion to God. Paul is saying that in light of the time of Jesus being very short, and this is controversial, isn't it? If you're married, live like you're not. If you're rejoicing, live as though you're not. If you're buying goods for yourself, live as though you have nothing. Dealing with business, live as though you don't have any dealings. That's what Paul commends to us. And it's shocking. And yeah, yes, he's using hyperbole. He is. But what Paul is getting at is this, is that the present world, the present way that the world works, the, the way that the world is formed is passing away and something eternal and weighty is coming. Therefore, in preparations, Christians, single and married, need to be prioritizing their relationships, their possessions, and their business dealings according to Jesus's return. He could come any minute. He could come any minute. And while our marriage on earth is beautiful, and it's a beautiful depiction of Christ's marriage to the church, it is still limited. It's not eternal. It comes with worldly troubles that Paul would save us from. What I mean is this. There is a wedding we are looking forward to. There is a marriage banquet of the Lamb, the wedding of heaven and earth together again, God with his people, where the imperfect passes away and the perfect comes. And what Paul is saying is anticipate and live to see that perfect come. Paul says that where our heart and our mind and our hope should be aimed is in Jesus' return first and foremost. Does that mean that if you're in an earthly marriage and you're struggling through worldly troubles that it's bad? No. But Paul knows that there's interference for married people. Most of us married people aren't thinking about the wedding to come. And here it is. Single individuals are properly positioned and free to not only devote their attention and their longing to the wedding of Christ and his bride, but they are properly positioned and free to display to the married within the church, people like me, that there is something better to come and something better to hope for. They're uniquely able to display this. Marriage is not ultimate. Something better is coming. But listen, when we as a church use our words and our actions to elevate marriage over singleness, maybe seeing singles as those not yet fulfilled, or in need of just our dating advice, when we do things like this, we work against the beautiful image of God displayed in their season, and we denigrate their role as beautiful reminders to us and to the world that the present state of the world is passing away and something better is coming. Singles, you have that role. 
It's beautiful and we need you to fulfill it. Finding your desires met in Christ and it's a struggle, it is. But please, I ask you to be faithful on behalf of the church. We need to see that in you. We need to be reminded of Jesus's return and the better marriage that is to come. Singles, the Imago Dei is displayed in your eager expectation of Christ's return. An expectation we should all have, but an expectation you are uniquely gifted to display to us who are married. So finally, in closing, what are we to make of all this? What are we to make of it? First, I'd like to acknowledge that there are particular difficulties faced in singleness. I don't want to downplay that at all. Singles have difficulties too, There are many different reasons that some find themselves in that gifted season. And that season may be short or long, desired or not desired. And the only way to live in that season will be, it'll be to live faithfully through the power of the Spirit and not your own power. You cannot be faithful to Christ in your singleness on your own strength. It's impossible. You need the gift of the Holy Spirit to do so. And as, as pastors and as church family members, we need to point you to that, pointing you back to the Spirit so that you will not rely on your own strength. And we as the church family need to recognize that some are struggling and deep wounds may be festering in need of the healing hands of Jesus. But the answer for any of them is not a short anecdote. It's not dating advice. No matter how spiritual it sounds, For those in our family who are not single, meaning if you are married in our family, let's commit to joining with our single brothers and sisters, inviting them into our own families, walking with them through this season, listening, having a posture to listen and to hear, not simply to share, allowing them to tell us of their experience, and then offering advice if it's solicited, but keeping that advice to ourselves if it's not. Pursue single brothers and sisters in the same way that Christ has pursued us and adopted us into his family. And if you see a need and there's an unsolicited need for advice, you can go ahead and say it, but do it with humility and grace. Pursue single brothers and sisters as the same way Christ has pursued us and adopted us into his family. Use your tables as a place to bring singles around to take part in what God is doing in your family. They need family too. Singles, please humbly commit to integrating into the lives of the family in our church or the families in our church. It will take effort and it will take pursuit. None of us are perfect. I speak for myself. I can be really awkward. It's not easy to always connect with people, but I ask you to pursue them. We need to all have a posture of humility and grace toward one another for that is what we have received from Christ. What we need to work against, though, is this tendency to segregate ourselves. Segregate ourselves where married couples hang out with married couples and make married uh, missional communities, and singles hang out with singles and make single missional communities. We need to be integrated as a family because we, we need each other. That a single person is no less gifted to minister to a married couple. We need you. We need your unique gifts and your words. We need to be a part of an integrated family. We especially need singles for their unique giftings God has given them for the good of the church. And we need their reminder that what we're experiencing in our marriage, the good things and the bad, is temporary and something better is coming, namely Christ. And he's worth waiting for. 
singles, you too display the image of God. You do. Completely and fully. You do not need a spouse in order to make that more full or a reality. And as a family, we commit here at Pillar to be your family. And if we have wronged you, I recognize that we could have. We could have used words that have wronged or hurt. If we have done any of that, please forgive us. Please. And please commit to helping us grow and understand how we can serve you better. We don't have all the answers, but we serve a God who does. And may we go to Christ together in each of our stations for the good of each other, using our words, our presence, and our strength for each other's good. So for that summary sentence again, this here at single brothers and sisters, the image of God is displayed in your free, single-minded devotion to God and his mission, using your words, presence, and strength for the good of others and eager expectation of Christ's return. May that encourage us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good and that you are loving, gracious, merciful. I recognize that you give gifts sometimes that people don't want and and stations in life that can be difficult. But God, I thank you that you are sufficient. And God, I ask for your grace to navigate these relationships, the relationships of married to single people. And I ask God that you would give us each insight into how each displays your image uniquely so that we can celebrate that image within one another and point each other to Christ using our words, our presence, and our strength for each other's good. And God, I ask that as your family here, that we would be an integrated family who is seeking to serve one another, who is seeking to love, to be gracious, to humbly um, deny ourselves for the good of others. God, I thank you for the family that's here. And may we live out your image faithfully, displaying the truth of you in, in Okinawa, our workplaces, and in our immediate families. God, I thank you for singles. I thank you that you've uniquely gifted them and called them. And may we serve them well through your spirit. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.